Hey everybody, my name is Tyler. I'm the student pastor here at FCC. Welcome to our podcast. We're glad you joined us. Let's get into the word. You know, I, um, I don't get to be in here very much anymore uh, with, the, with the one service. And I gotta say, I love the energy in here. I just think it's excellent, the way that we are worshiping together as one body. is beautiful. It's incredible. Yeah, we have claps for that. That's great. Yes. So it is, it is a privilege to be with you all uh, this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Tyler. I'm the student pastor here at FCC. And we, uh, we're jumping into a new series uh, as we enter into the Christmas season, which uh, I'll explain a little bit more uh, as, as we go along. But as I was thinking about this message this morning, I, I started thinking about some movies that I like. That's often a, a really good connection for me as uh, I think about just where we're going with this message. And uh, one that came to mind for me uh, was We Were Soldiers. Uh, a, a, anybody seen that movie? It's a pretty old movie at this point. Mel Gibson uh, really liked that movie. And I was reflecting on, I was reflecting on that movie this week. And uh, if you don't know or haven't seen it, it's, uh, it's a movie set uh, in, in the Vietnam War, and it follows a company of soldiers, army soldiers, as uh, they navigate the beginning uh, of the Vietnam War. And so uh, there's one scene in particular where the, the cadets have just graduated basic, and they're about to head out uh, to the battlefield. And there's Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore, and he is giving the commencement speech at their graduation and he says something which I think is profound and relates strongly to what we're going to be talking about this morning. He says this. He says, I can't promise you that I will bring you all home alive. But this I swear before you and before Almighty God, that when we go into battle, I will be the first to set foot on the field and I will be the last to step off. And I will leave no one behind we will all come home together, so help me God. Those are some powerful words from the lieutenant, and a major promise to these soldiers that he will not forsake or abandon his flock. They don't know what lies ahead, they don't know the dangers that they're stepping into, but there is one thing that they can lean on. And that is the promise that they will never be abandoned. What's amazing about our story with God is that God promises us the exact same thing. In Deuteronomy 31, as Joshua is getting ready to lead the Israelites into the promised land, Moses looks at him and he says to him and all of Israel, the Lord himself goes before you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. That promise still rings true today. Sometimes, though, I think that we have a hard time actually believing that. I know that I do, and I've been walking through a season right now, which I'll talk about in a little bit, that I have a hard time believing that truly I will not be abandoned. We feel as if we have to get to a certain place to be with God for him to actually want to be with us or not abandon us or forsake us. 
Or maybe we forget that there is no person among us, ourselves or others, who are beyond that promise. We feel that somehow we or others have to earn our ride home from the battlefield. But in reality, God looks at humanity and says, if you are willing to trust me, I will leave no one behind. I think that there is perhaps no better story in Scripture which encapsulates that message than the one that we're going to look at this morning. So if you will with me, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, 18 through chapter 2, verse 12 this morning. Like I said, we're jumping into a new series this morning called He Will Be Called. And over the next three weeks, we're going to look at the different names that are given to Jesus in this time of celebration and of the Christmas season and what that means for us. We're going to look at Emmanuel next week. uh, Next week, Jerome will walk us through Son of the Most High. And then Chuck will look at Word, Light, and Made Flesh in John. This morning, we're going to look at Emmanuel, God with us. And before we jump into this scripture this morning, just a little bit of context for us to understand this gospel better. So Matthew opens up his gospel with an entire genealogy of Jesus, the entire line of Jesus all the way back to King David. It's very important for Matthew that his readers understand that Jesus comes from the line of King David as was prophesied. And so he spends, uh, he spends the first part of this chapter going through a long list of names that are unpronounceable. <laughs> but we get there, and we see David, and we see Jesus. And that is the most important thing that he wants us to get at here. So then we jump into the telling of the Christmas story in Matthew, starting in verse 18, which says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son And you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. So I want to pause there for a moment. We're actually going to read just a little bit further in a moment. But a couple of things that I want us to take away from this as we dissect this scripture this morning. And the first thing is this, that God is with us in our trust. God is with us in our trust. So Joseph and Mary, they are pledged to be married. And what's important to understand about this is this, this doesn't work like, like our, our modern day engagements. 
Okay, in this culture, a pledge to be married, essentially Mary and Joseph were already legally bound together. They just hadn't gone home and, and, and started living together and consummated their marriage yet. But legally, they were considered to be married. So when Mary becomes pregnant, the assumption, of course, is that there has been adultery on her part. And by the Jewish law, this was not only grounds for divorce, but it was very possible that Mary could actually be put to death for this. So Joseph, not wanting to put Mary through that, plans to divorce her quietly. No one really has to know, but he is faithful to the law and faithful to go through with what the law has commanded. But then an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and tells him that Mary's baby is from the Holy Spirit and that he should stay with Mary and name the child Jesus. Now there's, again, a couple of important elements here to this detail. First, Joseph is actually the one who is the connection to Jesus from David. It's not Mary, it's Joseph. And so it is critical that Joseph accepts Jesus as his child, for the prophecy to be fulfilled. Okay. The other thing is that in this culture, the naming rights to a child were given to the father. And so for the angel then to come to Joseph and say, you will name the child Jesus, there's some sacrifice that has to come here on the part of Joseph. Not only is he sacrificing his rights to name the child, he is also officially and legally adopting Jesus as his child when he names the baby. So there's some important elements that are going on here with the trust that is going on with Joseph. But Mary, likewise, is going through the same thing. In fact, we could probably argue that she is going through an even bigger element of trust. Because for her, And the acceptance of Joseph and this baby, it is literally a matter of life and death. Mary is going through extreme trust of what's going on here. But I love what Mary says in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, when the angel appears to her and tells her what is going on and that that the baby inside of her is Jesus. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word in me be fulfilled. She says, do what you have to do. I trust you. Likewise, when Joseph wakes up, he immediately does exactly what the angel asks. In both of these characters, we see this immense element of trust going on. I think what I love most about each of these interactions that Mary and Joseph have with these angels on separate occasions is the language that is used by each of the angels. In verse 20, the angel appears to Joseph and says, Do not be afraid. And in Luke 1, verse 30, as the angel appears to Mary, he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The Lord is with you. Trust and believe. I had the opportunity to go home, or excuse me, to go to New York to go visit some family uh, for Thanksgiving. And uh, the trip to, to New York or back to New York is uh, pretty long. It's about five, five and a half hours. And so uh, as I was sitting there on the plane, I had a lot of time to reflect and think 
excuse me, and think. Um, and as I was sitting there, I, I was I was kind of take a moment, took a moment to like appreciate the, the the situation that I was in here, and the amount of trust that we put on airline pilots, right, Mike, that that guy right here. And this is why. And this is why. This is why. We're in a machine that is 90,000 pounds. Excuse me. That is 90,000 pounds. And we are flying through the air at 500 miles an hour. And not only that, then you've got to put this thing back on the ground on a mile and a half of asphalt. Good luck. Right? And I'm sitting there thinking, there's no way I could do that. No way. The laws of physics seem like they are very much against you. Goodness. Hang with me. Do I need to go to handheld here? Are we okay? I might need to. Hold up. Nope. I don't know. Good? Nope. No, I don't think we are. Can I get a... Most of us have been on a plane, right, at this point. Everybody's just hanging out and chilling. I'm thinking, why? Like, why are we so relaxed in these moments? We trust these pilots that they've had their training, that they've done this over and over and over before. They have the necessary training that we trust that they're going to do the things that they need to do to get us on the ground safely. They've done it before, and thousands of others like them do it every single day. And so therefore, we as people sitting in this plane can trust that we're going to be able to get there because of people like Mike. Right? Church, when God says that he is with us, when he says don't be afraid, he means it. Now, I get that it's easier said than done when we talk about that, right? I get that it's easier said than done to say, yeah, God, I trust you. I get it. I believe that you're going to do this. I've had so many times in my life where I'm like, God, I don't know about this. I don't know where you are in this. I don't know what you're doing. I'm not under, I, I don't get it. Where are you? We've all had experiences like that with God. In trials and valleys, this can be especially hard. Moments where we've had broken relationships, trauma and abuse, the heaviness of anxiety and depression, the, the experience of loss, the pain that comes with loss. All of those things can be especially hard in the valleys and around the holidays. 
But church, God with us means exactly that. And so when God asks for our trust, like he asks for Mary and Joseph's trust, it doesn't mean, hey, ignore the hardship. It doesn't mean push down the pain. That's not what God is saying. That's not what trust looks like. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Jesus, in our trust, sits with us and feels the pain that we go through. In our trust and what trust looks like for us means that we trust that God is there. We trust that God is faithful to sit with us and experiences that pain with us. God is faithful in those places. He has landed this plane before. He did it with Israel. He did it with Mary and Joseph. He did it with Jesus, and he promises to do it again. Jesus has been here before, and he asks for our trust in the midst of this. And I want to say this. Maybe you were in a place this morning where you're not ready for that. You're mad with God. You're overwhelmed and crushed with pain. If that's you this morning, I want you to hear this. That's okay. That's okay. God is patient with us. God with us means that he sits with us no matter where we are. We'll talk about that more here in a moment. But in every moment, in every season, he is there. He sees you in your pain and he is waiting for you when you are ready. It is okay to experience pain. It is okay to walk through the valleys because the good news of God is that our pain is not the end of the story. Our pain is not the end of the story. Glory is coming and it is available to all people. It is available to all people. And that leads to our second point this morning, which is this, that God with us means all of us. God with us means all of us. So let's pick back up again in our scripture this morning and talk about that. So, so after all of this happens with, with Joseph, right, and after he takes Mary home as his wife, we skip ahead some time in our story. And as opposed to, to what is often depicted in, in our nativity scenes, this, this scene with the Magi, or the wise men, which we're about to read about, there's actually a gap of time uh, when, when uh, Jesus is born and the Magi come and visit Jesus. And it's debated about how long that is. It was uh, between several months or it could have been as long as a couple of years before the Magi actually come and see Jesus. But regardless, this happens here once again, starting in chapter 2, verse 1, which says this. That after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he he called together all the peoples and chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. 
For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod called the Magi, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Okay, so let's talk about this here for a moment. So the Magi, they hear about this king that is to be born, and they go out to see him. And King Herod, who has heard the prophecies of Jesus, he feels threatened. His power, he feels threatened by Jesus. And so he asks the Magi to go and find Jesus and report back to him with a plan to kill Jesus. The Magi, guided by a star, they find Jesus and they bow down and they present him with gifts and they worship him. And they return by a different route to avoid Herod and his plan. So I want to focus here for a moment more on these Magi. So these Magi, these wise men, were very respected and and wealthy individuals in their society. They were also astronomers and and likely polytheistic. They had many gods, and they probably worshipped the sun and the moon and the stars. They had heard about the the Jewish God, but it was very unlikely that they worshipped him, or at least exclusively. They were not Jewish, but yet there's something that draws them to travel all of this way to come and see the king of the Jews. And not only that, but present him with expensive and lavish gifts and worship him. What do we make of that? The best advice that I ever got in ministry, I was an intern and I was sitting across at lunch with our senior pastor at this church that I was at. And we were talking about ministry, we were talking about youth ministry in particular. He had been in youth ministry for like 20-some years, so he had a huge background in this. And he, he looked at me across the table. I don't remember the exact context of what we were talking about, but he said, Tyler, the best thing that you can do for those students is to be fascinated with them. Be fascinated with students. And I remember hearing that advice, and I think conceptually in the time, I was like, I guess, I guess that sounds good but I'm not really sure exactly what that means. What does it mean to be fascinated with students? The longer that I've worked in ministry, particularly with students, here's what I found. When we are fascinated with people, when we are just genuinely interested in who they are and the things that they're interested in, it does two things. One, it makes people feel seen. Right? Because we are genuinely interested in the things that they're interested in, and we, we show a desire to know them. And it also puts down the notion that we're the only person in this relationship that has anything to offer. 
And this is a side note. I have learned so much in my time and working with students from students themselves. And if any of you have any time, you are more than welcome to always to pop over across the way and come and see what we do over there. Because I'm going to tell you this. I might be a little biased, but I don't care. Students are some of the most amazing people on this planet. They are. Young people are some of the most amazing people on this planet. And they have so much to offer to this world right now. Not later. Right now. So if you ever get the chance to talk to one of our students, please do. Because they're amazing. And they're awesome. Okay, shameless plug over. Why do I say this? Why do I say this? I love this aspect of Jesus and what we just read. Because before Jesus even starts his ministry, this story shows two things about Jesus. With the presence of the Magi there, it shows that Jesus was approachable. Jesus was approachable. And it shows that Jesus came for the whole world. The entire world, even the pagans, even the Magi, the rich and the poor. Jesus came for those people. And when we talk about Emmanuel, we cannot talk about God with us without all of us. We cannot talk about God with us without all of us. And I think conceptually, I think that we get that. So yes, God came, Jesus came for all people. But here's my question to us this morning. Do our actions and our thoughts about other people communicate that same value? Do our actions and our thoughts about other people communicate that same value? Do we believe that Jesus is with that person who cuts us off in traffic? Do we believe that Jesus is for our political opposites? Do we believe that Jesus is with the foreigner and the immigrant, even those who are undocumented? Do we believe that Jesus is for the poor and for those experiencing homelessness? Do we believe that Jesus is with the marginalized, the oppressed, and the prisoner? Do we believe that Jesus is with those who, has a diff- who have a different background than us. People who we don't understand. People who we don't agree with. People who we don't share things with. Most importantly, church, do our actions and do our words communicate that value about people? Do we communicate that we believe that Jesus is with all people? I will be the first to admit that I don't do this completely, not all the time. And honestly, none of us do. None of us do. The reality is that there is room for grace and for growth in that. But Jesus wants us to grow. He doesn't want us to stay in that same place. He wants us to be aware of the places that we don't fully understand people, that we don't recognize that Jesus came came for and is with all people. And he wants us to grow So church, a good place to start with that is to simply be fascinated with people. Be fascinated with people. And not in the sense of like there are projects or there's something to be observed. That's not what I'm saying. 
Be fascinated with people and what they're interested in and what they have to offer. Because every person has something to offer. Every person has been given this amazing thing within us called the image of God, which gives us great inherent value and worth. Culturally and ideologically, friends, Jesus shared nothing with these magi. Jesus shared nothing with them. And yet, here in this moment as we read, there's this incredible moment of love and respect and admiration. I love that part of this story. So do we communicate that in the way that we carry ourselves? In the way that we interact with people, do we show that Jesus is with all of us? Loving others exactly as they are, as Jesus loves us. And that brings us to this final point this morning, which is this. That God's presence comes to us. God's presence comes to us. One of my favorite things about scripture is not just observing the humanity of Jesus, but it is observing the entirety of that humanity, that Jesus communicates that he is not just with us, but he is with every part of us. And here's what I mean by that. In Matthew 8, Jesus calms the storm with his disciples in the boat. And Jesus communicates that he is with us in the midst of fear and danger. In John 21, Jesus reinstates Peter after Peter has openly denied him three separate times. And he looks at Peter and he says, feed my sheep. He commissions him to go out and share his good news. Jesus communicates that he is with us in the midst of our brokenness and our betrayal. In John chapter 11, Jesus weeps with his people over the death of Lazarus. He sits with the people in their pain as they mourn and grieve the loss of Lazarus. And Jesus communicates that he is with us in the midst of our darkest times. That he sits across with us and he weeps with us. I could go on. There are so many different aspects of Jesus that we can experience in the entirety of our humanity. But what I want us to notice about these examples is that Jesus is always the initiator. Jesus is always the initiator. He comes to us. Jesus comes to us. And this is a message, friends, that I needed to hear this morning. As I was prepping this message this week, I had a profound moment with Jesus. I had a profound moment with Jesus, and I felt compelled to share this with you this week. As I read through this story, Jesus clearly put it on my heart, the places that I am striving trying to balance life and school and work and relationships, managing hardships, trying to do all of it, trying to do it all. Jesus showed me clearly the places that I'm striving, and my thought process was if I can just get here, 
If I can just do this, if I can just get through this, then I'll be okay. And what I realized is, is that the, the more that I leaned into that, the more that I strived to be okay, the more that I, that I longed to just have things done, the farther that I was getting away from the Father. And I sensed that. I recognized that in myself. And so instead of just coming to Jesus, I felt like I needed to work even harder to catch up and make up for the places that I was lacking. This is happening real time in my life. In my mind, friends, there was this point that I needed to reach for God to be with me. God will only come to me to a certain point. Everything else is up to me. I need to have these things done. I need to have this problem figured out. I need to have spent this much time in the word, this much time in prayer. Jesus broke me in that this week. As I was prepping this message, I was in my office and I weeped in the presence of the Father. I weeped. And I said over and over the thought process that just kept coming to my mind was, God, I can't do this anymore. I need you to meet me here. I love that song that we sang this morning. Would you meet me here? I can't get there. I need you to come to me. I've been living my life convinced that Jesus at some point is going to leave me on the battlefield. At some point, he's going to be done because I've been running. Jesus reminded me this week that he is Emmanuel. And he is Emmanuel exactly as I am exactly as I am and exactly where I am. Church, Christ comes to us where we are. Where we are. He meets us, not the other way around. He meets us. And ultimately, that's the hope of Christmas, isn't it? That God met us and he met us as a humble and meek and innocent baby boy. Come to be one of us to save all of us. Emmanuel. So here's what we're going to do for the next couple minutes. Um, we're going to break off into some small group sharing time. And if you're new with us, this is something that we like to do to just engage a little bit with the scripture and just hear with, uh, with each other what you hear. What is God revealing to you through and in this story? This is particularly important, I think, for stories that we hear often like this one. So if you would just take the next five or so minutes, gather together and discuss what did you hear in this story this morning? What stuck out to you? And we'll come back together. Thanks everybody for tuning in with us today. Stay tuned for more content coming soon. Have a blessed day.